Hello and welcome to the first bonus episode of Fantastic Fights, the podcast about a middle-aged man trying to recapture his youth through the medium of fighting fantasy adventure game books. My name is HJ Doom, and in this episode we're taking a slight detour from our usual adventures to play through a game book based on a beloved TV series from my childhood, Nightmare. I'll be doing these bonus episodes irregularly whenever I happen to come across a game book from outside the fighting fantasy canon that piques my interest. Nightmare was surely one of the strangest TV shows ever to emerge from the hotbed of weirdness that is children's entertainment. Essentially a cross between Dungeons and Dragons and Blind Man's Bluff, each episode saw a team of children try and defeat a magical dungeon at the behest of a bearded Saxon called Traegard, played by Hugo Myatt. One child would be the Dungeoneer, who would wear the Helmet of Justice, which prevented them from seeing anything except what was directly beneath them. They would then be sent off to a studio rigged as a gigantic blue screen room. The Dungeoneer would be piloted through the dungeon by their three friends, who were in a different studio and watching their progress on a screen, and they could relay instructions to their blind comrade through a microphone in the Helmet of Justice. Now, while the Dungeoneer saw only their feet, the team would see them in a variety of strange rooms generated from a mixture of computer graphics and traditional matte painting. And those rooms would be filled with all kinds of challenges, from riddles posed by talking walls and logic puzzles to timing exercises and rapid movement across rapidly disintegrating bridges. These would be dealt with by the team yelling frequently contradictory instructions to the hapless dungeoneer, such as move left, go right, duck. And these would usually be delivered in a chorus of high-pitched voices in a way that generally led to confusion and a sticky end at the hands of the dungeon's many deadly obstacles. So deadly was the dungeon that it took three seasons before a team actually beat the challenge, which was definitely a bold move for a game show, albeit a very odd fantasy game show. Nightmare was a huge hit and retains a cult following even today across eight series between 1987 and 1994, as well as a one-off special on YouTube in 2013. The lore of Nightmare was gradually expanded. Traegard, the dungeon master, was joined by sidekicks. Various NPCs were included in the dungeons with their own backstories. And gradually, a sinister opposition was introduced, headed by the vile Lord Fear, played by Mark Knight. Um, as well as that, a whole bunch of spin-off material was generated, including two video games and a board game. But it's the adventure game books we're interested in here on Fantastic Fights. And as such, I present this episode, the second of these, The Labyrinths of Fear, by veteran writer and games developer Dave Morris. The Labyrinths of Fear presents a very different take on the adventure game book format, Half the book is a novelette set during the reign of King John. Incidental details from the book suggests it takes place sometime in the early 1170s. The novelette tells of Traegard of Dunhelm's adventures in the elf-haunted and dangerous Anwyn Wood in the aftermath of a tournament conducted by the Earl of Avingham, whose uncle, the previous Earl, vanished into the greensward a decade prior. Along the way, Traegard also has to reckon with the treacherous and venal Rupert of Armitage, who's got a grudge against the Saxon knight going back years. It's exciting, it's well-written, and surprisingly historically accurate depiction of life during the period when the Norman nobility was just starting to become culturally 
more English than continental, a process hastened by King John's disastrous efforts to retain his father's French territories. Once you've read that, you get to embark on the main adventure, a short 170-paragraph affair in which you'll have to make use of the information you've gleaned from the novelette in order to progress. I have read the novelette, and without any further ado, let's get into The Labyrinths of Fear. Okay, for obvious reasons, I'm not going to read uh, the entirety of the 75-page novelette, so I will just fill you in with information from that as and when it becomes relevant. So, uh, we need to talk briefly about the rules of Nightmare Dungeon. You have a life force, something borrowed from the TV show, which has three possible stages, green, amber and red. You begin the adventure on green, indicating you are unwounded and fresh for the challenge. At intervals during the adventure, you will be told that you've lost or gained a life force grade. So if you're on amber, if you lose a grade, you go to red. If you gain a grade, you go to green. If you're on red and you lose a further grade, that means you're dead and you must start again. Uh, At times, you may have some food and you can eat food at any time when there's an entry marked with an asterisk and that will increase your life status by one. You can carry up to five other items at a time. If you find an item which you want, but you already have five other items, you must discard one. Sometimes you'll get spells. You can have no more than three, and spells can only be used once. And there's a reminder to remain true to the code of chivalry. Be courageous, dutiful, just. Protect the weak and show honour even in adversity. So, let's begin. The story begins with Tregard having just told you the story of his adventure. Tregard rises from his chair beside the great hearth of Nightmare Castle. That, then, is the tale of my experiences in Anwyn Wood he says as he refills his wine goblet. Mark well what I have said, adventurer. Soon you will enter the dungeon, and there will be opportunities aplenty to show that you have learned from what I've told you. The best knights are those who are intelligent as well as brave. You are nervous. Nightmare Castle has a formidable reputation, and many a warrior has been defeated in its dungeons. It's too late to back out now. You bow to Tregard and tell him that you accept his challenge. You don the helm of justice which Tregard hands to you. He also hands you a meat pie for eating when necessary. Though the helm has no visor, you find miraculously that you are able to see. Who says justice is blind? says Tregard with a booming laugh as he leads you to the dungeon entrance. You walk along a tunnel until you reach three doors. You can take either the left hand, the middle or the right-hand door. Okay, so straight out of the gate, we've got a three-way decision and no information to help us. So I'm going to go left. You soon come to a hexagonal chamber with a door in each wall. A figure stands here wearing a white tabard on which an eight-pointed star is blazoned in red. You recognise him as one of the Knights Templars, ferocious fanatics who give no quarter in battle. Some people say that the Templars also have sorcerous powers. He fixes you with a beady glare and says, Aha! Surely you're a goblin or some other foul fiend in the guise of an adventurer. If so, I'll soon spit you on my sword. You protest that you are, in fact, a genuine adventurer, but the Templar, whose name is Sir Tobias, remains unconvinced. We'll soon find out if you're telling the truth. Answer me this if you can. 
I'm 32 years old and I'm twice as old as my squire was when I was the same age he is now. How old is my squire? Zounds, that's a tricky one. You scratch your head as you try and puzzle it out. All the time, Sir Tobias is waiting with drawn sword for your answer. What will you say? Okay, so one of Nightmare's infamous riddles. So uh, he says he's 32, twice as old as his squire was when I was the same age he is now. Okay, after some considerable head scratching, I've worked out that the squire is 24 because I think that the gap in age is eight years because that's the only way the twice as the old as my squire bit works out. So I'm going to say 24. I really did spend a long time thinking about that. Too long. Very well, says Tobias. Clearly you are no devil spawn as such creatures would not have the wit to solve my puzzle. From his disappointed tone, you infer that he would rather you had turned out to be a goblin as then he could have had the pleasure of slaying you. After a pause, he adds, But the simple fact that you happen to be human does not prove you are true to the code of chivalry. Will you accept a further test? One that allows you to prove you were a true and pious adventurer? Do you wish to accept the challenge? Well, never let it be said that I shirked from a challenge. Unless the challenge was something I didn't want to do, in which case then I will shirk a plenty. This time it is not a puzzle of logic, says Tobias sternly, but a matter of general knowledge. Tell me, what is the insignia of the Hospitallers? Traegard told you that Cedric the Monk was once a knight's Hospitaller, which is mentioned in the story, what we read earlier, what I read earlier. Did he mention the symbol of the Order? Is it a white cross on a black background, or a red cross on a white background? I think it is a red cross on a white background, and that's what I'm going to say. Turns out I misremembered. Tobias scowls darkly, his brows knitting like the wings of a raven. Bah! He thunders. What has become of the world if adventurers of the modern generation are so ignorant? Be gone, you buffoon. Okay, I guess we will be gone. Taking your leave of Tobias, who is surely as mad as any man you've met, you head through one of the doors and walk along a corridor, which eventually brings you to a small, dank room. Out of the crack in the floor grows a gnarled vine. You examine it and see that the grapes are coated in a silvery bloom. Do you want to eat some of the grapes? I mean, they seem mouldy to me. I'm going to leave the grapes be, I think. I'm going to say discretion is the better part of valour. I vaguely remember something from the novelette, which I literally only read a couple of days ago. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the grapes were bad in the story. That's terrible, isn't it? I can't remember things that happened to me yesterday. Oh well, uh, I will leave the room through the only exit. You have a nasty suspicion that the silvery tinge means that the grapes are poisonous. As you turn away, though, an idea comes to you, and you pick a bunch of the fruit after all. You know better than to eat them, but they might still come in handy. Then, adding the grapes to your list of possessions, you make your way through the exit along a corridor into a large, circular hall. In the centre of the floor, there is a hole over which a windlass stands. It is a wellway which you could use to travel to the level below. Opposite where you entered, the word maze is carved in the keystone above a wide archway. 
Do you want to descend using the wellway? Would you rather explore the maze first? I feel like a sensible thing to do is to explore the maze because, I don't know, usually you need to find something on level one that you'll use in level two. That's just me reaching into my bag of nightmare knowledge. But yeah, I think we're going to explore the maze. Beyond the arch, you step into a maze of interconnecting passages. Gradually, you edge your way down the narrow stone aisles, sure that some great treasure must await you in the centre of the maze. At last, you reach a point where the passages converge. And there, before your eyes, is a marble fountain, whose splashing waters sparkle like a million jewels. You drink without hesitation, and the enchanted waters restore your strength. If you are wounded, your life force status is green once more. While you are splashing in the cool water, you notice an object glittering at the bottom of the fountain. You fish it out. A golden key! Doubtless it will be needed later. Now, you turn to retrace your step. Your heart sinks. Which way did you come? You look from passage to passage, but they're identical. Do you have any of the following? A ball of red thread? A compass? A parchment and quill? The rat spell? Otherwise, I think we're out of luck. I don't have any of those things. I've got some poisonous grapes, so I can at least make my own end quick. You wander for ages in the maze, but you are unable to find the way you entered. Finally, you hear Traegard's voice in your ears. You should be more wary, adventurer. Sometimes the very walls and passages of the dungeon can shift around you. A maze is a dangerous place to go if you don't have a plan for getting out again. Prepare to be transported. The next instant you are back in the antechamber. Any spells or items you had collected are gone. Now you are armed with information, says Traegard, and that is the best weapon of all. Do you want to try again? I surely do. Let's continue onwards. I quite like this giving us another go. So, uh, we are back with the Helm of Justice in a tunnel. And we went left last time. Now we can take either the middle or the right. Let's go for the middle. Middle for diddle. You walk along a passage that eventually opens out into a long room. There is a table here covered with mice that are gnawing at some stale crusts of bread. As you step forward, there is a rustling of silk tapestries and several ugly grey goblins scuttle out into the room from concealed passages. The way they move puts you in mind of giant spiders. Each wears a grin that displays sharp yellow teeth. They are armed with spears of Iron hard ice. Do you wish to fight them? I think not. Or I can try and jump on the table to dash past them. Or retreat the way we entered. So I think we jump on the table and try and dash past them. I don't fancy fighting goblins armed with pointy icicles. That seems like a, a recipe for disaster. The goblins jabber something in a language you don't understand. Which to be fair is almost all of them. And start to run around the table in an effort to cut you off. You can see a door at the far end of the hall. Do you want to run straight for it? Or do you want to pause long enough to snatch up one of the bread crusts? I think I'm going to run straight for it. The goblins pursue you a little way, baying for your blood like a pack of wild dogs, but eventually they give up the chase. You head deeper into the dungeon until you reach a large circular chamber. Okay, we're back in the windless room, the wellway which we can use to travel to the level below. So, I guess that's what we do, since there's no other option. You peer into the wellway. It is unlit and goes down so far you cannot see the bottom. A rope is wound around the barrel of the windlass. 
So you start to winch it up and soon an oak bucket is raised into view. You secure the mechanism and then examine the contents of the bucket. It is filled with a jumble of mouldering bones along with scraps of rusty armour. Do you possess a bone? I do not. You scatter the bones out of the bucket by untying the rope from the winch and passing it over the barrel of the windlass you are able to contrive an arrangement that allows you to lower yourself gradually down the wellway. As you step out at the bottom, a bone crunches under your foot. It is a rib bone. If you don't already have one, it might be worth taking. Okay, so you never know when you might need a rib bone. Let's hope we're not stopped by the police and called upon to explain why we've got human remains in our pockets. Well, you've made it as far as level two. You feel quite pleased with yourself. But then, Traegard's voice speaks out of nowhere. Don't congratulate yourself too soon, adventurer. The trials you have faced so far serve only to weed out the foolish and the faint-hearted. Now it is time for you to receive your quest. The elf king, Arowen, is at large in the caverns below level three. You must find and defeat him before he can use his magic to topple the foundations of Nightmare Castle. Remember, he is a powerful wizard, and you will need all your cunning to overcome him. Traegard's voice fades. You leave the chamber by the only exit. You arrive at a room that is cluttered with all manner of jars, test tubes, retorts, candles, boxes of magical powders, scrolls, cages, various herbs and dried animal skins for use as spell ingredients. It is Merlin's alchemical laboratory. The old wizard himself is standing by a bench in front of the fire and muttering under his breath as he peers at some mechanism he's assembled. Do you want to creep past him without announcing your presence? You can do so, leaving by either of the doors at the far side of the room. You can also speak to Merlin or try and filch some of his spell ingredients. I am going to speak to Merlin because I remember from Nightmare that usually a good sort. You go up behind him and give a cough. After a moment or two, he turns round. Look at this. He says, pointing to the device he's made. It's a clock, but it's quite useless because the hands go around widdershins the wrong way. That seems to make a certain amount of sense, as you've heard people say that Merlin lives backwards in time. You do not mention this, though, as you don't want him to launch off into a boring lecture. Instead, you ask him what he knows about the Elf King. Only what any wizard knows, he replies, apparently not at all interested. But if you're going to face him, you'd better bone up on your rich solving. Here's a spell that might help too. He touches you with his wand and you acquire one use of a smoke spell. You thank him and go to leave. You are about to take the right-hand door when Merlin glances up from his workbench. No, straight on, he says. You go out through the door he indicates. A short passage brings you to another chamber. This one is bare of any decoration except for a copper chandelier that hangs from the high ceiling. In the light of its candles you can see a door in each of the side walls. Before you have made up your mind which way to go there is a deep rumbling and the room begins to shake violently. You are almost flung off your feet but then the tremor subsides and you see that an awesome face has formed out of the masonry on the opposite wall. Its mouth is a great gaping hole directly in front of you. I am Granitas. It booms. Each word is like an earth shock. You notice that one of the candles, which has been dislodged by the vibrations, has fallen by your feet. You can pick it up, if you wish. I do wish. Ah, the wall monsters are a nightmare classic. Listen to my conundrum, 
rumbles the wall monster. And listen well, for if you answer wrongly, I'll grind your bones in my stone jaws. The riddle I shall ask is your clue to which route you should take. Do get on with it, Granitas, echoes Tregard's voice. <laughs> At once, master. Very well, here is my riddle. What is it? That but for one letter would be everything there is. The more you take away from it, the bigger it gets. You stand in utter bafflement for a moment, trying to think of the answer. The answer is a hole, I think. Granitas said that when you knew the solution to his riddle, you'd know which way to go. Well, do you? Do you want to go through the left-hand door, the right-hand door, or straight forward into the gaping hole of Granitas's mouth? Well, I think we're going straight forward because, as I say, pretty confident that the answer to that riddle is a hole. Stealing your nerve, you walk boldly into the rocky tunnel of the wall monster's gullet. You must have guessed correctly that the answer to the riddle was whole, because Granitas just lets you pass through his mouth as tamely as a circus lion. After a short distance, you see a light ahead, soon after emerging into a warm room with a heavy oak table in the middle. On the table, there is a plate of roast meat, and curled up beside is a black cat. There are two ways on from here, a broad metal-studded door in the opposite wall, and an archway to your right. Do you want to eat the meat that the cat doesn't want to eat. I don't think I do. I don't think I want to eat anything that's apparently delicious that a cat won't eat. So I think I'm going to try the door. Or am I going to try the archway? Metal-studded door versus archway. Um, open archway. Let's go archway. The passage you are walking along joins two others in a Y-shaped fork. For a moment, you are uncertain which way to go. Then a gleam of blue light catches your eye, and you make your way along the tunnel towards it. You emerge into a dank cavern. Directly in front of you, the ground falls away in a precipitous chasm that runs from wall to wall. There is no way across. On the other side, a woman is draped languidly on a couch of grey marble. She wears a gown of sky-blue silk and fairly drips with jewellery of silver and rubies. A mortal! says Lilith, lazily pointing a silver-sandaled foot at you. Well, little mortal, state your business and be quick about it. You start to speak, but you are rather tongue-tied. You know that Lilith is an immortal sorceress who could effortlessly imprison or slay you with her magic. You'll have to speak up, says Lilith with a mocking laugh, or come a little closer. You follow her gaze down into the dizzying chasm. You need to bribe her with a gift so she'll use her magic to create a bridge. What will you offer her? An emerald? A bunch of grapes? A mouse? Or a rib bone? If you have none of these items, you are stuck where you are and will now forever be in Lilith's sorceress power. I will offer her a rib bone. Who doesn't like a rib bone? I've only got one of those items. It is the rib bone. That's what I'm going to offer. <laughs> Lilith gifts a husky laugh. <laughs> A spare rib puts me in mind of that mousy little wench, Eve. May devils toast her skinny bones. Now that she mentions it, you do remember something from folklore about Lilith having been Adam's first wife in the Garden of Eden. But your heart sinks when you see her smile turn into a scowl. You've been too clever by half, mortal. I don't find the joke exactly rib-tickling. 
She jabs out her hand, and a bolt of lightning blasts the cliff from under your feet. You tumble down and down, finally hitting the bottom of the chasm with a shattering thud. Lose two life force grades. If you survive this, it can only be because some miraculous magic of the Helm of Justice has protected you. So, we're on red. Not good. Still, still alive. That's that's good. Okay, so uh, we are go to a paragraph which has an asterisk which means I can eat some food I still have my meat pie so we'll eat that to go up to ember you follow a winding tunnel that leads down into a grim torture chamber it is circular with a crackling fire pit in the center where various forks and branding irons are heating up ready for use you see spiked manacles on the wall some still locked around the splintered Bones of old victims. All in all, not a pleasant scene. You do not want to linger here any longer than you have to. Three identical exits are in front of you. One directly ahead and one halfway round the wall on either side. As you are stepping over the threshold, you happen to glance down and see a message scrawled into the floor. Widdishins won't do you. Dead ahead, too true. Diesel's how you want to go. To pass on safely through. And based on this little riddle, do we want to go middle, right or left? I think we want to go right because Widdishins is anti-clockwise, so that would be going to your left. Dead ahead, that seems pretty obvious, the middle one, so I think we want to go right. You are just about to leave when you see an iron poker lying beside the exit. It has a wicked-looking barb at the end, which makes you suspect it's not designed for stoking fires, but for something altogether more nefarious. Do you wish to pick it up or leave it where it is? Well, from the novelette, we learn that elf folk do not care for iron. So I think I'm going to grab the poker. Bending to pick up the poker may very well have saved your life. For at that moment, there is a whoosh and a sizzling globule of lava goes flying through the air just inches above your head. You grab the poker and turn to see an incandescent fire elemental arising out of the pit in the middle of the room. You waste no time in beating a hasty retreat. The next room echoes to the sound of a spine-chilling roar. You are rooted to the spot in terror as a huge lion comes prowling in behind a pillar. Moreover, this is no ordinary lion. It is glowing with brilliant light and the light is getting brighter by the second. You you have to shield your eyes. It's like looking at the sun. But how are you going to get away from this ferocious creature if you're dazzled? Yeah, so options. Pair of sunglasses. Don't have. Smoke spell. Do have. Rat spell. Don't have. Uh, a mouse you can throw to it. I think not. Staff or poker, you can attack it. I doubt it. Uh, So yeah, I think we're going to go with the smoke spell. You're loathe to use the smoke spell in case it would have been more useful later, but there won't be a later unless you cast it now. Clouds of thick, cinereous smoke fill the room within seconds. The lion cannot see you, but you can see where it is because the light, it still radiates dimly through the smoke. You feel around the wall until you find a way out. You come to a vestibule. Several other passages give on to this room, but it does not take you long to decide which way to go. In only one passage are there stairs leading down, and you know the Elf King waits for you below. You're halfway down the stairs when you hear a rustling like dry leaves right behind you. Alarmed, you whirl around and are shocked to discover an Elf Maiden holding a rapier to your throat. Somehow she's crept up on you with nary a sound. 
It was only when she swept back her cloak to draw the sword that you heard her. Do you have an iron poker? I do. Her lips curl in distaste as she sees the instrument of torture tucked into your belt. So, she says in a tone of contempt, you are one of those butchers who revel in inflicting pain. Before you can protest your innocence, she stabs out with her sword and cuts a deep gash above your breastbone. Lose one life force grade. If you're still alive, you throw the poker at her to buy time and flee down the stairs. Back on red. Velda does not give chase. Presumably she was discommoded by the touch of cold iron which all fairy creatures abhor. At the bottom of the stairs, two passages give you a choice of routes. Over the left-hand archway is carved a pagan horned symbol. Over the right-hand archway is a cross. Well, if we're looking for the elf king, I think we've got to follow the pagan horned symbol. Only a short distance further along, you pass a fountain set back in an alcove off the side of the corridor. Do you want to stop for a drink? Uh, yeah. The water is brackish and icy cold, but you find it refreshing. As you splash it over your face, you notice something written at the bottom. You peer closer and read, The greenwood knights are cruel and sly, but if you can name them, away they'll hie. Suddenly, there is a crazed giggling from down by your knees. You look down to see a hairy little imp in a scarlet jerkin, long nose poking like a crooked carrot out of its tiny scrunched-up face. It crept up while you were washing and has snatched the helm of justice, which you'd put down on the floor beside you. Before you can stop it, the imp is running off down the corridors with the precious helm clutched in its sweaty little hands. I don't have either the fleet foot spell or the goblin spell, so I'm going to have to chase it. You have no chance of catching the little monster, but luckily it's too dim-witted to realise that. In its panic, it drops the helm and scuttles off through a narrow crevice in the wall. You cannot follow, but you only wanted the helm back anyway. You retrieve it and continue along the corridor. The next chamber you come to is a large cave where the sound of dripping water echoes eerily through the gloom. Advancing, you are surprised by a tall, thin knight in silver armour who steps silently from the shadow of a stalagmite. He wears a lime-coloured surcoat and has a glittering silver spear in his hand. The king has commanded your death he declares, and so prepare to die. If the inscription in the fountain is to be believed, you can prevent his attack by naming him correctly. What will you call him? Sir Linden, Sir Rowan, or Sir Orfeo? Now then, if I remember correctly from the thing I read literally yesterday, his name is Sir Rowan, a dangerous knight of Arrowans who causes all manner of difficulties to Traeguard. He bears his teeth in a feral snarl. An elf's name is half his soul, he says. You're a clever mortal. If you had named me right, I'd have let you pass. Unfortunately for you, a rowan by another name is not as sweet. With that, he stabs his silver spear into your vitals, and so brings your quest to an abrupt end. Okay, there are some other elves at the court. Obviously, I got the wrong one. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Oh well, I should have looked it up. Should have looked it up. They all look quite similar, the elves, to be honest. I'm guessing that was Linden. Oh well, never mind. So ends the adventure of The Labyrinths of Fear, yet another adventure game book. I have entirely failed to beat on a first playthrough. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'll be back in just a moment or two with some closing remarks. 
So just a few closing thoughts on something that is, after all, a minor phenomenon in the world of adventure game books. Firstly, it's a pity that the game book isn't as well written as the novelette that precedes it. That little adventure yarn impressed me a great deal, especially considering it was clearly work for hire and something that you wouldn't necessarily expect a writer to lavish considerable attention on. There's there's some great details about the niceties of early tournaments and the prevailing battle strategies which would dominate the wars King John would go on to extensively lose in France, as well as plenty of very well-observed English folklore elements in the mysterious woods that form the backdrop to much of the action. And it's nice to see that some of that does actually carry through into the game book like Merlin ageing backwards. That's a really nice touch. Uh, I would have really enjoyed it if the game book had been able to take a similarly sylvan setting, but I think the need to turn out something that was recognisably Nightmare the TV show prevailed, and so we got something much more wedded to the source material that inspired it than the novelette is. But, to Labyrinth of Fear's credit, it does a fairly decent job of evoking the atmosphere of the series. We're ushered from room to room in a fairly disjointed manner and given brief but occasionally intriguing descriptions and then a simple or fiendish puzzle to solve. I will admit the early conundrum with the knight had me scratching my head for quite some time and I probably wouldn't have got there at all if I hadn't had the choice of answers to work with. I did enjoy seeing Treyguard remaining a presence throughout the journey, just like in the TV show, like interposing himself here and there to comment on the action or to provide dire warnings of dangers ahead. Also, I like the fact there's a few clues to how to proceed scattered through the novelette, although apparently I got my elves all kinds of mixed up in the excitement. I blame dyslexia and stupidity in equal parts. The other element that I really like is that The encounters often have a variety of ways through them, although it's always with the proviso that you might end up using an item that you could very well need later. It allows you to progress in a decent way without needing the optimum strategy right from the get-go, and I I think that's a very clever bit of game design. And it feels very appealing because it helps it seem less arbitrary. I mean, it still seems very arbitrary. There's often very little guidance on how you ought to proceed. And sometimes doing something like bending to pick up a poker will turn out to save you from immolation. I mean, it's not as though the source material was much better, to be fair. Nightmare was legendarily brutal in all sorts of obtuse ways. So, yeah, it it conjures up that sense of the TV show. And that's all you can really ask from a Nightmare game book. I'd be really interested to see what Dave Morris did with a broader palette to work with, and I'll be keeping a lookout for some of the other game books he wrote, as well as very much looking forward to the single fighting fantasy book that he wrote, Keep of the Lich Lord, which I will be covering much, much, much later on the main podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this brief left turn into another fecund field of nostalgia, and I'll be back very soon, I hope, with the deeply intimidating Death Trap Dungeon. I'll see you then. Goodbye.